Good evening and welcome to another edition of Rev. My name is Lori Enright and we are so excited that you've joined us for the next 30 minutes. At any time, if you have any questions you'd like for us to answer, send us a quick email to rev, R-E-V, at eaglecountryonline.com. Special thanks to Mark Kreimer and our friends at Kreimer's Beer House for making the show possible. Visit the Beer House for lunch or dinner seven days a week on State Route 128 in Cleves. It's David Vaughn. Greetings on another Sunday night for Rev. I hope you're having a good week. I hope you had a good week and that you are so excited about heading into Monday work. I know we've heard from some of you that it's tough to get going. So we hope, we pray, this Rev radio broadcast here on Eagle Country with our good partner, Mark Kreimer from Kreimer's Beer House that sponsors the show. We hope we've been a blessing to you. We'll be a blessing tonight. And even though uh, we're going to talk kind of about a sober thing, in some ways it's far from somber uh, because there's so many things we can learn about our topic tonight. As you know, we talk about anything and everything on Rev, and we have from time to time guests in the studio with Lori and I. And tonight is no exception. i got Jody Bergen, used to be on my staff, and now is serving as a key church leader. We call them elders in our church at Whitewater Crossing. Shameless plug, whitewatercrossing.org. Check that out. We're as good in the summer as we are in the winter or as bad in the summer as we are in the winter. I don't know. But anyway, come to come and check us out. On, uh, go to that Plan Your Visit page. But Jody is a key leader in our church, and he really transitioned off our staff to help with hospice and chaplaincy, working for one of the large uh, hospital health care providers in our country. So I'm going to just let Jody kind of introduce a little bit. And Jody, I want to ask you a couple questions about what for some is a, a tough subject, the, the process of, of dying, a grief. Some of us here in Eagle Country may have very well lost a loved one recently. Memorial Day just passed. Uh, you know, Mo- Mother's Day, those are tough. Uh, uh, Father's Day's coming. And so a lot of us, uh, as we get a little older, and some in Eagle Country are young, you think you're never going to pass away. But those of us who've been around the block a few times, a little long in the tooth, as some of my guys would say, we understand that death does visit us all. So I'm interested in asking you a few questions, kind of probing a little bit about how to cope with grief. Somebody out in Eagle Country tonight who's uh, maybe got someone who is in a hospice situation. Some of us don't even know what that is. So assume, like me, we know nothing, okay? Uh, but, Joe, tell us a little bit about how long you've been in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Give us a little bit of your story, Joe. Hey, thanks, David. Uh, hello, everyone out there. Lori, good to see you again. Hi there. Uh, it's great to be here today. Thanks a million for letting me be here just interacting with you. Uh, been in the ministry field for some 35 years or so. Uh, Cincinnati's home for me since 93. Uh kind of have driven my tent pegs down really deep in the ground, and this is uh, home for me from now on uh, forward. So love being here. I, I miss being a part of the staff at Whitewater. Isn't that kind? Uh, we so didn't do pay I. you to do that either. So do I. I, get, I used to get to go talk to Jody. <laughs> there yeah. you go. He's That's a good right. guy. Doesn't yeah, he's he a great a, guy to talk to. you can tell, just a soothing oh, yeah. voice. So just like oh. mine. Just like Lori, yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> and I'm just plain old Jody. Uh, nothing uh, big about me. Uh, the greatest accomplishment of my life was uh, winning the love of my lovely bride, Paula. And other than that, I'm just plain old Jody. So glad to be here with you. Uh, although I've missed the staff, it sure is a rare privilege that 
I have today to kind of walk alongside people that are in uh, very difficult, serious situations in their life, facing end-of-life issues. Uh, David, I kind of describe it as kind of working every day at that crossroads of, of life and death. Mm-hmm. Uh, or another analogy would be just kind of being with people as they're crossing over that threshold of living into dying. So it's such a difficult, challenging moment to, to navigate through, and it's a rare privilege that people give me to be their friend, to walk alongside them during those days. Have you found, Jody, that people enter that valley of the shadow of death, as David would call it in Psalm 23, they enter that with stress? Do they have sadness? They have fear? They have... Sometimes, I I know this sounds weird, I've prayed for people to pass because I know their quality of life is never going to return. It's actually a bittersweet thing sometimes for folks, isn't it? Yeah, it is, David. Uh, In my world of uh, hospice chaplaincy primarily, uh, people have uh, chosen not to continue any longer with curative treatment. So they're right at that moment of taking a deep breath. Uh, they've heard a physician say, there's not a lot more we can do for you. So they're coming to terms with what the finality of life might look like. And for some, it scares them to death. Mm-hmm. So they walk into my world just afraid and terrified and overwhelmed. Some walk into that my world with a sense of relief and joy. It's been such a long struggle with, in many cases, serious illnesses, uh, that to be at this point finally where no one's using them like a, a pin cushion to continue various and sundry treatment strategies, mm. uh, it's a relief for them. And some you encounter have a great deal of uh, peace about them. Uh, many people have faith that provides uh, a real mooring and foundation and strength to help them navigate through those days. Some people come into my world with no faith backgrounds at all, and uh, they really need to, uh, a friend to come alongside them to help them understand how to walk through that process. The simple definition for those that don't know of hospice is yeah. basically helping people end their life in a pain-free way without providing medical intervention that would sustain unduly their life. Yeah, the is big difference is curative care versus non-curative Good. treatment. Great way to put it. Yeah. As long as you're still undergoing curative care for an illness or a disease, then you would not be hospice eligible. But when you get to that point where curative care is futile, it's no longer helping, then hospice could become a great option. They come alongside to provide nurses, social workers, chaplains, aides, very good at what a wide do, variety of staff to make you comfortable and yeah. peaceful as you move through that transition. Talk to me. You've got a, you have a front row seat for the dying process. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about pre-death in the, those latter days. Talk to me about the difference you've seen between people who have faith, people who do not have faith, have you seen any difference? Is there a difference? Uh, we advocate, obviously, at church that I've often said from sermons that even if there were no heaven or hell, I think having faith, believing God, following the Bible is the best way to enjoy life, even if there were no afterlife. I believe there is afterlife. Mm-hmm. I, I maintain after watching people, it's the better way to go. But would you have you seen a distinct difference there uh, in faith, non-faith, anything like that? As you could imagine, David, uh, we're a large hospice. We, this morning we had some 725 patients. So with in that, the hospice 
process yeah, in our program, program yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, so with that many people, you have a wide variety of experiences that they're bringing to bear. Some are faith-oriented, and their life is characterized by often by hope and peace mm-hmm. and tranquility. Uh, that faith gives them the capacity uh, to move through that with hope that there's a tomorrow for them. And we do get a lot of patients with no faith background, uh, so some of them are hardened and cold and uh, have no interest whatsoever in faith-oriented discussions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hope is the biggest differentiator you'll see in those two groups of people, David. And hope's good. I mean, that's kind of like our mission statement at the church. We exist, mm-hmm. our mission, we exist to help people find hope in Jesus and a home in church. Hope is when you lose hope, you've pretty much lost most things. You are. I would mm-hmm. think those listening in Eagle Country, you lose hope, hope in your marriage, your, your marriage is going down. You lose hope in your faith, your church, your business, uh, mm-hmm. anything. Hope's so essential. It's essential to life, it really is, as well as the, the death and end-of-life process. Hope is that factor that moves people through it in a real healthy, mature way. But hope is the key that I think accompanies those who are faith-oriented and have a strong faith background. What could those of us who have a loved one who is thinking about hospice or at that deciding, defining moment, uh, what advice could you give to us listening who maybe have a loved one, an old, a parent perhaps, a grandparent, that what's the best thing we could do to help them with Find that hope or retain the hope, you think? Mm-hmm. Well, um, uh, you know, if you're speaking of uh, their lack of orientation to any sort of a faith background, mm-hmm. David, mm-hmm. Uh, then you could share your story with them. You know, what has been meaningful for you, uh, mm-hmm. how faith has been a part mm-hmm. of your life. Uh, you know, give them that opportunity to hear from you the, the role that faith has played in, in their life. So in any situation like that, David, just because there's pain at the end of life, it often will soften people to spiritual discussions. Not always, but uh, quite often it will soften them to talk about things to come and things of faith and things of, of the future after life. So it's an opportunity. Do, do you have conversations with people about oh, that? Oh, sure, yeah. Some people, uh, <laughs> David, in, in that, I call it liminal space, in that threshold space where you're transitioning from this life to the next life. I don't have a lot of scientific data to back this up, but I hear stories all the time, regularly, probably weekly, of patients who have these dreams and visions of people they've known that are in heaven. Uh, they're coming back to see them at night. They have visits with them at night and conversations no at night. Probably brings them peace to some degree. It too, does, then. yeah. When they see their deceased spouse or Aunt Susie or their mom or dad uh, that's preceded them in death. Uh, it, it's amazing how consistent that is for me. Yeah, what's your take on that? What's your take on these <laughs> sometimes can't. Christian stories that say, well, I saw this light, I yeah. uh, spent 30 minutes in heaven or... 20 minutes in hell. There's two different stories right there, you know. And I'm not talking about the commute home now uh, from your work. Uh, but what's your take on that? You think there's some similar strain of truth there? There are. There's commonality in all those uh, stories of uh, that moment when people are dealing with what happens when you take your last earthly breath. 
you know, quite a few people have been resuscitated and come back. Yeah. Uh, but they have very common stories or common elements that they tell in a yeah. wide variety of stories. Yeah. Uh, have you experienced some humor in this process <laughs> as well? There's got to be oh, some. Oh, gosh, yes, David. Uh, there was this elderly couple that uh, really took me for a ride. I, I always uh, loved coming in to see them. Uh, his name was Clarence, and when I came by to see Clarence, his wife's name was Ethel, uh, Clarence said, uh, Chaplain, I could not wait until you came back by to see me again. Uh, God has been so good to me, I just couldn't wait to tell you about it. He said, uh, Chaplain, at my age, you know, I have to get up and go to the bathroom a lot at night. Yes. So I said, yeah, I understand that, Clarence. He said, well, when I get up and go to the bathroom, God turns on the light for me, Chaplain. Uh, I go in to do my thing, and when I leave, he turns off the light for me. <laughs> and I turned to Ethel, and I said, Ethel, what in the world is he talking about? And Ethel said, that just means Clarence is peeing in the refrigerator again. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a different way to approach it. <laughs> so Aww. a lot of folks uh, still maintain their Aww. sense of humor, and uh, Ethel and Clarence got a big kick out of uh, taking me for The ability to smile and laugh. Uh, as you face what some would consider to be the greatest enemy of this life. I mean, so Paul said, again, from a Christian perspective, that uh, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So uh, you and I have done over our ministry career a ton of funerals. Yeah. You know, still do quite a few. You probably do more than me now. I do a lot, yeah. Uh, and I have noticed, you know, when you view this life as all there is, there's a different feeling, different spirit different synergy and energy at a funeral than when you know that person was a believer and you think death is but a door to the next life. And as I often quote at funerals as a, as a Christian, you know, you're not going from the land of the living to the land of dying. You're moving from the land of dying to the land of the living. A huge perspective of difference. And uh, why there, that's why I think sometimes we praise God when someone that we know loves Jesus transitions and gets promoted mm-hmm. to the and if he could bring them back you wouldn't want mm-hmm. to if they were in heaven i yeah. mean from where they were come back to earth die all over again i don't think so a sad part for me david uh, would be the the family members and friends that are left behind after an individual passes uh, and they have a sense of hopelessness that they'll never see or connect again with that mm. individual. Mm. Uh, where those who are faith-oriented have that hope yeah. that they'll reconnect with them again in heaven. Yeah. That they'll have an opportunity to see them again. And then they'll have this souped-up body that's free from all of the disease and the aging process. And uh, it'll just mm. last them for all eternity. Yeah. So there is hope with family or lack thereof yeah. uh, if the person dies without faith. Yeah. I'll put you on the spot. All right. Tell me your view on like Kevorkian or assisted physician suicide matters that are very prevalent in Europe. Mm-hmm. Not so much here, although I think America is learning how to die with dignity in some ways. Hospice is really that uh, a, por- a portion there. Give me your view on that. Uh, that that subject or that topic? Well, it's pretty common for patients that live with chronic pain uh, to reach out for help from us to end their life more quickly. Now, that certainly is not a part of our philosophy at Hospice of Cincinnati. Uh, There's a great value in life. Mm. 
Mm. Now, even though that individual has lost many of their capacities, they're no longer able to enjoy the quality of life that they did, there's still tremendous value in the life that they have and the presence that they offer to their family. So because of my personal conviction in that tremendous value of life, I could not subscribe or hasten uh, the death and dying process of anyone, even though uh, they're suffering. David, in in most cases today with modern pharmaceuticals, uh, hospice programs are able to manage pain. That's a pain management. People don't die in pain more often than not. Well, you could understand it, uh, why people might want that or Mm -hmm. choose that, but... I would think that uh, life is valuable on both ends of the spectrum. I mean, you and I would have that bias theologically, spiritually. Uh, we should protect life, do all we can on the front end of life with babies, end of life issues. And it really, when life is devalued on one end, it's valued on all ends and in the middle. But I, can, I certainly have a, a compassion and a heart. Imagine someone forced with a choice who does not not avail himself of hospice the way we are are applying it. Mm -hmm. I think that's good. Okay, so Jody, walk me through this. Someone has entered the hospice program. They they have passed away, um, and they're pretty good, I've noticed, at least in the case with those I've been affiliated with. They're pretty good estimators about even down to the hour, kind of what they see happen. So families are gathering, the loved one has passed. Then the grief process really starts to emerge. So mm-hmm. walk me through what I would consider God's process, uh, the human process of grieving. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of us in Eagle Country, again, are going to experience the death of someone we love. It may be sooner than what you think. There's not a week goes by that we don't experience it at Whitewater Church, the size we are of someone accidentally dying, someone naturally dying. Uh, Sad stories of uh, premature deaths obviously abound. Talk to me about grief a little bit and the ministry of grief. Okay. That's a really good question, David. You know, most of our listeners are just like you and I. We've all experienced loss at, at some level, either family or relative or friends over the course of our life. Grief is a a very natural response. Mm. It's a normal response to a a change in adverse circumstances. Uh, Some people grieve over losing a relationship, or some people grieve over losing a job. Uh, there's or a no, dog. I mean, or, or, yeah, yeah, pet, sure. Yeah. I used to laugh at that until <laughs> I got a dog. Yeah, now I get understood. Yeah, yeah, I get that as well. <laughs> there's probably no more intense grief than losing a loved one. Uh, just this past week, I, I had a uh, an angry, grieving widow now that was crying and sobbing deeply with me. And she was very instructive as she really poured out her heart to me. Uh, She said, I hate this, Mm. and I hate what people are telling me. Mm. Uh, There's no good in this. God Mm. didn't have a purpose in this. And when people tell me he's going to be in heaven, that doesn't help how I'm feeling right now. Mm. Mm. Uh, I want him with me now. So she was really giving each of us, I think, instructions about how to mm. walk alongside friends that are grieving. What to say, uh, what not to say. Right. I was a little ambushed, and she was so 
open and vulnerable and honest and raw with their feelings. It took me off guard just a, a touch. So I really didn't say anything, David. Mm. Now, look, I have a couple of graduate degrees, mm. and I have a I know certification do. in chaplain. There's a lot that was in my mind to yeah. say to this dear gal, but I refrained. I just listened. I let her say what she needed mm. to say. I let her feel what she needed to feel. Mm. I let her do what she needed to do. Mm. And that was exactly what mm. she needed. So silence is not always a bad thing if no. you're helping. That's hard for guys to do. We're fixing kind of people, aren't we? Yeah. She didn't need me to set up a classroom and try to teach her how to feel or tell her what she should be thinking yeah. or tell her what she should be doing. If anything, death is a teacher. She's the one that should be teaching me. She's the one that's intensely learning and growing as she's moving through that. But the best tip I think I have for myself or friends listening, when you're walking alongside someone who's really grieving, uh, don't set up a classroom and try to tell them how to feel or what to think or mm. what to do. Just be there. Be a presence. Allow them to Jody share. Jody's trying to talk with me. You know, preachers like to talk. <laughs> In fact, I, I've right. never been a great counselor. That's why Jody's so good because I've already figured out the problem for the person who even sits down, and they don't even have mm-hmm. to talk. Just listen. I'll tell you what the that's like that worst thing you could do. Or just go fix it. Yeah, is basically yeah, go your... fix it. Just stop it. Just stop it. <laughs> right. So I don't know, Lori. Uh, would you say with uh, you don't have to get personal now with men in relationship, but by and large, sometimes gals and guys too, but yeah, they just want somebody to listen. That is fixing the problem from their standpoint. I don't need you to fix this. I just need you to listen yeah. and hear me out. And They don't have, a sol- you know, they don't have an answer or a solution. Yeah. It's just kind of nice to be able to express the way you're feeling and, and just yeah. feel like somebody cares enough to listen. We might get into that in marital counseling in the next Rev show, Jody, because you have <laughs> done you a go. lot of that too. But talk, I want to go back to one thing in your example, uh, which was awesome, of leading us to let the pain do the teaching or Jesus or that inner spirit do the teaching instead of us. Anger is a normal, normative yeah. part of grieving. Is that true? Yeah, that's true, David. By definition, anger is a frustrated expectation. So in this case, with this dear lady, her expectation was that her husband was going to live. That frustration was not real. I mean, that expectation was not realized, so she was really frustrated. And as we would define it simply, she was angry. And that was a normal response to something devastated being ripped out of her life that she wasn't ready to let go of. Yeah. So uh, Kubler-Ross process of dying, can you talk a little bit about that? The emotional roller coaster. Yeah. There's th- anger's in there. I remember that uh, from school. Yeah, and there's fallacy in that uh, the way people look at that. Uh, Kubler-Ross never intended it to be looked at as kind of a, a linear, sequential mm. process that a person goes through. What are those other emotions? Uh, where you like deal with six anger, or seven, and anger and denial and bargaining. Bargaining, and yeah. You ultimately work your way through to a point mm. of peace. And it would give you the impression if you do one, two, three, A, B, C things, and yeah. you'll get to a better place. Grief is just not like that. It, it's yeah. messy. Every single person grieves differently, Hmm. and it's okay. I have to tell people that all the time. Just because uh, your son is not feeling like you do, it doesn't mean he's grieving inappropriately. That's what he's capable of doing at that point Hmm. in time. 
It's not an appropriate way to grieve. No, I give people lots of grace. Just allow them to say what they need to say, do what they need to do, think what they need to do. So we kind of jump back and forth some motion, Mike. We'll be doing pretty good for a couple weeks, and all of a sudden one thing will trigger it. It might be a song, a memory, a moment. Then you're back. To yeah. square one on that. That's that's the dance of grief, David. It's yeah. a couple of steps forward, a step back or two, and then a step forward or two. Yeah. Time isn't necessarily the solution. Hmm. Uh, it's what you do during that period of time that really results in more healthy moving forward in your life. So processing, getting good people around you that can speak your language, uh, sharing with a safe friend, just like I'm describing here with someone that won't give you a yeah. sermon or a teaching about how you should be yeah. thinking or feeling that'll just listen. Yeah, we have a great program called Grief Share yeah. at the church, and I know you used to help kind of coordinate some of those things, and mm-hmm. uh, sometimes people need an avenue. we got a brand new uh, widow's uh, small group that just started uh, on Saturday mornings at the Whitewater Church. Uh, so don't, you are not without someone who understands. Sometimes it's helpful to sit and listen to other people's stories. Yeah. And you think, wow, you know, that's me. I, I think one of the things the devil does is he convinces you that you alone are the one dealing with it. Yeah. You're the only one who understands this kind of thing. That's the greatest thing when I see our, our widows and people who have experienced loss at knee to knee and eyeball to eyeball. They begin to understand what I'm feeling is normal. Mm. That I'm, I'm mm. not wrong. I'm not abnormal. There's nothing wrong with me because I miss my spouse so deeply. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have a question, and All this right, kind Lauren. of it will take back. It's about grief and anger with illness, but not, um, not after death. So this is actually a, kind of a situation going on in my family, and I wonder if other people are, have experienced this or are. So I have a, a relative that is ill with cancer and is, is doing well but has been in and out of some hospitals and, and really um, I've spent a lot of time praying and hoping for this person that I care about but is very, very angry and has shut um, many people out of their life. So from a perspective of being a family member and having somebody that I care about not let me come around Um, I really worry about, like, I I sit and think, am I ever going to see this person again? But I try to understand that, you know, the anger is because they're scared. And what would you say to somebody like me or somebody else that's trying to not feel guilty because they can't be there for somebody um, when it's not personally my choice? I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that with other families where they kind of shut people out of their lives. Yeah, that's that's a great uh, question, great illustration, Laurie. Thank you. Uh, And and again, that's not uncommon, okay? That patient uh, has an illness that's changed everything about his life. He had dreams and anticipations of the way his life was going to live out and the way he was going to see the sunset happen, and it wasn't being overcome by vicious disease like cancer. So he's dealing with things as best as he is capable of at that point in time. So my first tip for you you or me as a frustrated relative or friend that would really love to be more engaged and more involved, I have to extend tons of empathy for that person. Uh, Again, i got to give him some freedom Mm -hmm. to process things at his pace. So I make myself available. I reach out. I, I might do a, an act of kindness by bringing them a meal or you know mm-hmm. something 
uh, that would show that I'm still thinking about him and care about him deeply. But I'm not going to force it, Lori. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's just no way to force someone into opening up and being vulnerable and authentic with you if they're not at a point where they're capable of doing that. So I would say it's okay. It's heartbreaking. I'd love to engage. I'd love to be more relationally beside you and process. Uh, but I'm going to give you the freedom to be who you are and be where you are with this whole process. You love mm-hmm. them enough to give them space, which yeah. I kind of think yeah. is what yeah. God does. You know, That's he shows he up does. when mm-hmm. he's invited. Yeah. You know, he doesn't really force himself in. But, man, mm-hmm. I, I want to kind of get in there and fix it, you know. Yeah. So I, I, I have the feeling that those in Eagle Country tonight <clears throat> have been blessed or helped. Hopefully, <clears throat> excuse me, if you have someone who's at this stage of their life, obviously uh, you can email the station. What's the email, Lori, they can use here? Uh, Rev, R-E-V, at eaglecountryonline.com. Yep, and you can visit whitewatercrossing.org uh, and look at the support groups, the small groups. Show up any Sunday. We've got people who are crying, people who are laughing, people who are celebrating, people who are grieving. We, we It's a place for everybody, and if you are are looking for that perfect church for imperfect people, Whitewater Crossing is it, and we'd love to have you any Sunday. Sometimes you see me up there. You may even see Jody up there from time to time. <laughs> Sometimes we see you volunteering back so in the kids' rooms. Yeah, maybe you heard a rumor about that. We might want to post that on the Eagle Country. But Jody, why don't you close this Rev session out to. with a prayer for our audience? I'd be glad to. Thanks, David. Father, thanks for everyone who's listening in uh, this evening particularly those whose hearts are heavy. Uh, They're dealing with uh, serious illnesses in their family or some of their friends, or they're dealing with the recent loss of someone that they loved. I pray your peace and comfort would just overwhelm them today. Just whisper in their ear afresh this evening how much you love them, how much you care for them. Uh, Bring people into their life that could love on them and be safe friends to help them just to talk and process about uh, things that they're experiencing with the loss. So bless our listeners. We thank uh, again for everyone who's here. We love you in our Lord's name. We thank you. Amen. Amen. Man, thanks for tuning in again on behalf of Lori and Jody and I. We're cheering you on. You got a friend over in us at Eagle Country and at Whitewater Crossing and for sure at Crimer's Beer House. So we'll see you next Sunday night, 7 o'clock for Rev. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us tonight on Rev. David and I pray that this show has revved up your life, your faith, and your work week. Find out more about Sunday service times, youth programs, and how to plan your visit to Whitewater Crossing at whitewatercrossing.org and click on the New Here tab. Our show is blessed by Crimer's Beer House on State Route 128 in Cleves. I'm Lori Enright. Please join us next Sunday at 7 p.m. for Rev with Pastor David Vaughn, only on your hometown radio station, Eagle Country 99.3.